Welcome to Broadcast 1132. You can join us live every Sunday during our worship experience or at church1132.com. I wonder how you choose to see life. You know, you can choose to see life in one of two ways. You can choose to see it through the lens of despair, or you can choose to see it through the lens of hope. You know, we live in a very uncertain world right now. There's much despair in the world. There's political despair. As a country, your, your country is divided right now. And our country's been divided off the back of Brexit. And uh, there's terrorist threats. There's financial uncertainty. But I've got some good news today. There is a God who is fiercely committed to your future. And I know that because the most famous verse in the Old Testament says, For I know the thoughts I have towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace not of evil, to give you a future and a hope. God is committed to your future. Now, there is also someone else who's committed to your future, and that is the enemy. Now, we don't give the enemy much time because he's not worth it. He's a loser. However, he is also committed to your future. He says the thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And the, I believe this. There's lots of ways the enemy tries to attack and destroy people's lives. But the main way that the enemy tries to steal the life which Christ gave you is removing hope from your life. I was preparing this message for our church a few months ago. And some of you have been following the, 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 the European terrorist attacks uh, in, in the various nations. And as I was watching, just literally an hour and a half down the road, a man had just driven a car and a truck into pedestrians on London Bridge on a Saturday night at prime time. As I'm preparing a message on hope, what happened is in that moment I lost hope. The Bible says hope deferred makes the heart sick. You ever been having a really good day, a really good moment, and suddenly you get the email? Suddenly you switch on the TV, suddenly someone calls you, and suddenly in that moment you lose hope. And when you lose hope, you get sick. I'm so happy that this church, 1132, is committed to bringing hope to people's lives. I just watched that as I saw people helping others in the community yesterday. You know, there's never been a time in society where depression and anxiety and stress, let me tell you what they are. They are all byproducts of a lack of hope in people's lives. I've never met a person full of hope who's depressed. You see, when you remove hope from community, from society, when you remove hope from an individual's life, depression comes in. And the world is looking for hope. Alan is looking for hope. Dallas is looking for hope. America is searching for hope. You know, you can look for hope in so many things, can't you? I'm a sports fan. And, you know, you can, as I realized this week, you can lose hope in sport. Our country was doing so well till Wednesday at 4 o'clock. Hey, imagine being a Dallas Cowboys fan, eh? 20 years, 20 years. That's got to hurt. I mean, if anyone must be sick. Shall I keep moving past her? Have I just, yeah, just keep the, keep the reel rolling? If I've offended anyone, next week pastor's going to teach on overcoming, the spirit of an overcomer. Hey, you can lose hope in your job. 
remember when I was 16 years old, I applied for a job at a restaurant. You don't have them here. You've probably never heard of them. McDonald's. <laughs> and I went for an interview, and three days later, I got a letter back from McDonald's, and it said, unfortunately, uh, John Norman, you have been unsuccessful. Who can't get a job <laughs> at Macca's? And they had the audacity to send me a Big Mac voucher as a condolence. <laughs> True story. Now, God is a good, good father. And he got me a job at Burger King. So I spent the next 12 months of my life making whoppers. For you spiritual people out there, we will get onto the word. What about relationships? Relationships, how easy to lose hope in relationships. Just after I'd lost my job or never got my job at McDonald's, I, it was Valentine's Day. I was 16 years old and never had a girlfriend, certainly never been kissed, and um, probably shouldn't have been at that age. And so I went into my classroom, and it was Valentine's Day, and there was a pink envelope in front of my desk. I was like, this is the moment. I've been praying. This is the moment. This was the breakthrough. And so I opened it. There's beautiful little fluffy animals on the front and arrows going up into the clouds. It was awesome. And I opened the card. It said these, these words. It said, Dear John, what a start. What a start. Roses are red. They sell those here, yeah? Roses are red. Violets are blue. Umbrellas get lost and so should you. So that was my job, my sports team, my relationship. Anyway, five years later, went to Hillsong Bible School or Bridal School, you call it what you want. And uh, my wife hunted me down and she stalked me for two years and eventually I said yes. Um, if you saw my wife and saw me, you'd realize that was not true. Literally, we walked through malls. We were in, we were in uh, a mall, the Galleria Mall, on Friday, I'm walking through the mall with my wife and people are staring at her and I know what people are thinking. They're thinking, he must have a lot of money. <laughs> oh, there's a God. Hey, there is a God, so. Hey, we can lose hope in so many different things. Some of you today, you've come to church. In fact, someone's come here today and said, God, if you don't speak to me, if you don't speak hope into my situation, I'm done. In fact, I'm done with church, I'm done with my marriage, I'm done with business, I'm done because you've lost hope and your heart is sick. Now there's a young leader in the Bible called David. David's kind of my hero because I can relate to him. Keep messing up and keep getting knocked down and keeps getting backing up again. He's killed a bear, he's killed a lion, he's killed the, the big giant. And he's at war, he's the king of Judea. And <coughs> excuse me. He's at war and... He gets some news from on the front line. They're doing well. The war's going well. The war's in their favor. He gets, he gets a, a telegram. He gets a text message. It says this. Hey, David, you need to come home. Your mum's died. Now, for anyone who's ever lost a loved one, you'll be able to understand that phone call. Can, I, can anyone, as who's had that call? You've had that call. And in that moment, David, he is full of fear. He's full of despair and he, he loses hope. And he makes a cry to God. He cries out to God and he says this in Psalm 27, verse 13. This is a cry of vulnerability. 
just one verse I want to share with us today. He says, I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I want to talk today. Title is Hope is on the Way. Hope is on the way. And how do we hold on to hope in a world which offers very little hope? Three quick things. We get the answer from one verse. Number one, maybe you haven't lost hope, but let me tell you, this could be a, a message for the future. Number one, you've got to hope in God's Word. David says this. He says, unless I had believed. Where does hope come from? The Bible says faith comes by hearing and hearing from the Word of God. And there's a reason why this book, the Bible, is still the number one best-selling book in the world. So far, 3.4 trillion copies have been sold. That's a lot. I don't want to break that down because I'm not a mathematician. I just know that's a big number. <laughs> why is it still the number one? Because it is only only book on the shelves which is alive. God's Word fills us with hope. You know, it's, it's good to read the paper. What paper have we got here? Someone's give me the, the New York Times. The New York Times. But this is what I've realized. In the New York Times and every other major newspaper around the world, there are 70 negative reports to every one positive report. Yet we fuel it by buying it. Now, I cannot find one negative report in this Bible. Not one negative report. And you say, well, it's not up to date. It's as up to date. It's not up to date. It's in the future. And I'm not saying don't stay, don't stay updated with current affairs. I think we need to be wise. We need to know what to pray into. I encourage you, do not feed your fear. Feed your faith. Whatever you feed will grow. If you feed your fear, if you wake up every morning, the first thing you read is that Trafalgar Square in London is full of protesters campaigning or protesting against the President of the United States. And it's just, it's just negative, negative, negative. You've got to feed your faith. How does it fare in the Word of God, the promises of God? A yes and amen. What I've realized is fear is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but you don't go anywhere. You just rock, rock, rock. David said, unless I had believed. Where did David's faith come from? It came from God's Word. The media fills you with fear, but God's Word fills you with faith. Faith to believe again. Faith for miracles. Faith in despair. Faith in hopeless and impossible situations. You know, like, like many of you, if not all of you, we live in a pretty full, busy world, don't we? I'm a young, I'm a young dad, and <coughs> I, we do kids' runs in the morning, get into school, and they're always late. The pastor brings his kids late to school. It's like Monday's like crazy, and Sunday's crazy, and our kids are always late, and we're running behind. And some of you are like, I know how that feels. Some of you super organized people say, like, how can he do that as a pastor? He needs to be setting the example. I'm human. And uh, so are your pastors, by the way, just to let you know, give them grace. They give you a lot of grace. You give them a lot of grace. Anyway, it's a different sermon. It's a good one, though. <laughs> He's like, I want to hear that one. We live in a busy world, and 
you know, we have meeting after meeting and get to a board meeting and to a school meeting and a play at school. It's all stuff. But there's one meeting that is the most important meeting in my schedule. And every day, I have, I have a little garden room and I go into my garden room before, before we do the school run. I put the kettle on. I have a cup of tea because I'm British. <laughs> Just to let you know, this works with coffee as well. Works with any drink. Well, actually, within reason. Okay. I'll keep going. And I literally, it's called my personal devotion. And I've renamed it Tea with God. And it's just for 10, 15 minutes. It's not super spiritual. It's not super long. I just talk to God. And I open the book of hope. And just for a few moments, I read a chapter of Proverbs, a chapter of Psalms. A little in the old, a little in the new. God's not impressed by how much I read. He just loves to be with me. And of all the meetings that I attend in the day, if I miss this one, it has a negative knock-on effect on the rest. I want to encourage you today, if you're feeling guilty for not reading your Bible, you shouldn't be. You should just be feeling hungry. Because God's Word fills you with hope. And I cannot get through, and you cannot get through. I don't know what this week's going to hold. I don't know if I'm going to get a message. God, hope I don't like David did on the battlefield. But he said this, I would have lost hope unless I had believed. And does it mean I have a perfect day when I have tea with God? It doesn't. But somehow it, it fuels me to get through every moment of the day. The second thing I want to share with you today, you've got a hope in God's Word. Second area to hope in is you've got to hope through your confession. Hope through your confession. He said, I would have lost hope unless I had believed. He said this, that I would see the goodness of the Lord. David confesses the goodness of the Lord even though he is not experiencing the goodness of the Lord. Now this is where faith kicks in. We serve a God who desires to bless you. I'm not sure how you view or see God. Many people, uh, they view God as the God in the sky of the big stick who's waiting to hit them over the head every time they mess up. Because often we base our view on our heavenly Father off our experience of our earthly Father. But God is not like that. God is a loving, good, graceful, merciful God. He says, your mercy is new towards me every morning. But one, of the challenges that, one of the challenges in life is to keep exp expressing the goodness of God and confessing it even when you're not experiencing it. Your pastor shared a story with me. You know, you guys were, did the groundbreaking ceremony on this church. And the next day, the, the bank pulled the plug on the deal. Well, I think in that moment, he's not experiencing the goodness of God. But I know your pastor well enough after the 12 minutes I've spent with him, and I know what we've seen this morning, is he kept confessing the goodness of God, even though he wasn't experiencing the goodness of God. And one of the questions your pastors get asked more than any other question in church in fact, one of the questions we all get asked if you're a follower of Christ here this morning is this, and I'm going to give you the answer. Why do bad things happen to good people? 
Now, I'm going to give you a short, deep theological answer. You've been searching for this your whole life. This is the moment when someone asks you at university, school, you want to tell them this. Are you ready? I don't know. Never buy a book on someone who's trying to explain why bad things happen to good people. Because his ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. I don't know about you, but David must have been asking a similar question of God. Why can't I be at my mum's bedside? Why, God, what's going on? And the answer is this, I don't know. Life is not always about understanding, it's about trusting. There will be some answers in this life which will only be answered on the other side of eternity. Don't try and spend your whole life searching for answers which will not be answered this side of eternity. It's about trusting in God. My wife grew up in East LA. I grew up in rural England. Very different. She was raised uh, by her stepdad. Her, her natural dad abandoned her at birth and her, her, the, the, her stepdad sexually and emotionally and physically abused her as a little girl. If you don't know her story, it's online. It's an incredible story of forgiveness. And I haven't got time. She'll be here in the third service. And she's just the most endearing, loving girl. And you would never believe. You wouldn't even think that there'd been anything like that happened to her. But I was on the school run in January. And my wife called me. She said, John, she said something terrible's happened. Now, just two years ago, she got reconnected with her natural dad. He was a gangster in L.A. And we, we began to form a relationship through WhatsApp and we flew over there with the family just a few months ago and we had a beautiful day together and he's the kid's granddad and they got to hang out with him. It was just a beautiful day. We, we never had one day in our lives with him. We got a, she called me, she said, she said, my dad's been shot. She said, she's been shot. And just a half an hour later, he was pronounced dead in the ambulance. He'd been in the wrong place at the wrong time and gangster and another neighboring gang had come past and shot some rounds into the park and right in that moment we're like God you've just brought this back together what's going on Chantel after a period of time she's just had to accept that God is sovereign God does not put bad things sickness he does not put death on us but he allows us to go through certain things because, like I said, his ways are not our ways. And that's sometimes life is not good. You know, we've been singing a song in church in, in Norwich recently, the old hymn, God, you're so good, God. Let me tell you, life ain't so good. But what does that mean, God, you're so good? God, how can you be good in the bad? And I've realized this, what God is able to do is he is able to draw goodness out of the bad. Romans 8, 28 says, All things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purposes. So somehow God is able to bring the bad out of the good. Chantel flew over to the States with me and then she came back and went back for the funeral. And we, Do you know the amazing thing since this has happened is she's met family and cousins she, she never knew. She found a brother that she never even knew she had. We're trying to get him over to do our internship program. She stood up in front of a room full of hundreds of gang members and she spoke on forgiveness. 
She said, don't you be going after and again trying to get vengeance. She says, the only way is to love and forgive. Grown men with tattoos from their foreheads to their toes. And they're crying. And they're you see, even in the bad, God can bring the good. I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Some of you have got to get to a place like David and say, God, and he can handle this in your tea with him. I don't understand, but I trust you. When your kid's running towards the road, pastor's got young kids, and you see them running towards a truck, who knows, you just grab them. They don't understand. But one day they will. There'll be some time you'll look back and you'll be able to see God's hand over the situation. What are you believing in your life right now? What are you believing to see? What are you believing to see in your life? What do you need to start confessing before you see it? For us as a church, we're building a 10 million pound facility. You don't do that in England. You don't do that. Everyone's told me I'm mad. But we're confessing the goodness of God before we experience the goodness of God. I was, uh, we have a daddy-daughter date on a Monday. My daughter is called Miracle Joy, and she's a beautiful little princess. She's six years old. and Every Monday, I date my daughter. And um, I always give her the choice, what do you want to do? And I said, Miracle, where do you want to do? And she, it was a winter's cold winter's day. She said, Daddy, I want to go to the woods. Now, that's really good news, because that's free. <laughs> okay, so as a dad, that's... She says, but, and I was like, oh no. She says, I want to see a squirrel. <laughs> right? I, so I got down, I said, Miracle, I said, there's a small challenge with your second part of the request. Squirrels sleep during the winter. She's like, no, Daddy. She says, we're going to pray, and we are going to see a squirrel. And I said, no, I get that, Miracle, I said, but there are some challenges around that, because it, she says, no, Daddy, you said... Do you need to love it when your kids throw your sermons back in your face? So we're in the woods, and as she's walking on, I have a little... God, everything's on the line here. In fact, you're on the line. Over a squirrel? So 30 minutes into the walk, nothing. No squirrel. Of course it's not a squirrel, it's winter. And so then she turns, she said, Daddy, she said, you told me we were going to see a squirrel. I said, actually, you told me we were going to see a squirrel. <laughs> I said, why don't we pray? So I held her hand. I said, God, right now, you're the only person in this whole wide world who can put a squirrel <laughs> or wake a squirrel up from its sleep. Do it really quickly because I'm cold. <laughs> Five minutes later... In the tree, right in front of her, was this amazing half-gray, half-red squirrel. She turns to me and she said, I told you, Daddy. Here's the deal. What's your squirrel? What aren't you seeing right now that you need to start speaking into existence? Maybe it's the kid who's away from Christ. Maybe it's the situation in your family. Maybe it's your body that's in ill health. You've got to start confessing the goodness of God, even though you're not experiencing the goodness of God. 
change your confession. You know, I try to teach our church. The Brits are so cynical. I'm like, come on, guys. When you say, how's your day? Not too bad. You've just confessed the word bad over your day. You've got to be careful what you confess. One of the things we've abolished in our church is the word unemployment. We use the word in transition. Because one confesses, I'm unemployed, I'm unemployable, I'm stuck, God's not moving. And one says, hey, a door's just closed, but I'm just transitioning through into another door. So right now, if you're out of work, you are not unemployed, you are simply in transition. Come on. Don't be a negative Nigel. Sorry if your name's Nigel. Be a positive Pete. Who's single here today who wants to get married? Come on, put your hand up. Have a look around. It's a good time to have a look around. You all having fun in church? You know, church should be enjoyed, not endured. If you can't have fun in church, you shouldn't have fun anywhere. This is, and I love this church. I feel at home. I'm going to preach the next two services. I'm just going to stay here all day. But one of the things that I realized is that when it comes to, uh, to single, I said to our guys all the time, we have Walmart now in England. It's the best thing that's ever happened to us. I said, you go to Walmart and you buy a photo frame. You know the photo frame with the two pictures in? Yeah? The two little love hearts. And I said, now you get your little selfie. You've got loads of them. Put it, put it in there. Put it in the restroom. Put it in the lounge. Put it in a place you're going to see it. Leave the other space empty because that's your spouse. Every day you walk past and you confess the goodness of God. My spouse is on the way. My spouse is going to join me in that picture. You've got to do something ridiculous and God will turn up in the miraculous. Oh, I'm not going to do that. Well, enjoy being single. You're just doing the same old thing and get the same old results. Why don't you step out and say, you don't walk on water, you don't put mud in people's eyes, you don't do crazy things. I tell you what, it gets the attention of heaven. I could just preach all day. You know, recently I heard an interview with the father of tennis legends, Venus and Serena Williams. And Richard Williams, he was asked on our BBC Radio 5 Live, he was saying, when did you start telling your daughters that they were going to be world champions? I was thinking maybe high school, you know, college. He said, when they were in their mother's womb. He said, every day, he said, I'd confess over them, you will be tennis world champions. Is that a coincidence? I don't think it is. I think there's power in the words and the confession. Number three, number three. In fact, I'm going to share this. Can I share a secret with you? This is what we do as a church. And I did a whole series on this. I've got some resources for sale in the, back, in the back room. But we did a whole series. And what do we do when bad news comes? This is kind of a, a defense mechanism for what we do when bad news arrives. And bad news arrives all the time in various different shapes and sizes. But what do we do? And... Bad news is only bad news if you allow it to take up residence in your heart. And so we came up with this phrase, and it's a simple four-word phrase that when bad news arrives in the shape of an invoice, a call, a text message, four words, 
I want you to write this down. Forget everything else I've said today. Remember this. This is your coping mechanism for bad news. I did a 25-week teaching series on this because it meant so much to our church. Four words. This belongs to God. Bang. We've taught our church. This belongs to God. We chant it. We sing it. We kick it. We eat it. We sleep it. This belongs to God. A lady comes to me, see me in church. She said, and we got these stamps made. These stamps. She came and she said, John, she said, I got a traffic fine. She said, I can't afford to pay it. She said, literally, I'm, I'm a mom. I just don't have the money. She said, I don't know what to do. I said, you just come with me. I got my This Belongs to God stamp, which I keep in the office for the invoices that come in outside of budget in church. <laughs> and I said, now, look at me. I said, did you know that you were speeding? She said, I didn't. She said, it was a gentleman. So I stamped it. I sent it in. We never heard back from the council. We've had story after story after story. When bad news arrives, do not allow it to take residence in your heart. This is your defense system. This is the guard on the front of your heart. You are not allowed in. Bad news, you are not allowed to enter my life because this belongs to God. Come on, let's say it together. This belongs to God. This belongs to God. My kids belong to God. My business belongs to God. My debt belongs to God. My family belongs to God. My spouse belongs to God. It belongs to God. You see, it's not bad news which defines my day, my week, my life. It's the good news of Jesus Christ. I've got to give you one more point. Number three, hope in God's word. Hope for your confession. And number three, you've got to hope with like-minded people. I would have lost hope unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of God. He finishes it up like this, in the land of the living. David understood that his hope was in God. It was through his confession. But then he understood that who he spent his time with would determine who he'd become. He wanted to connect with people of life. I want to encourage you when you're going through the storms, when you're going through the despair of life, don't find other people who are in the same season. You find people who are planted in God's house. You get in a small group. If you're going through depression, anxiety, despair right now, can I give you one tip? Switch the box set off, climb off the couch, open the door, and find someone who's in need. Bring the land of the living into someone else's life. There's many laws out there that can define our lives. There's the law of entropy. Things just self-destruct. There's the law of gravity. Whatever goes up must come down, apart from your age. But the greatest law out there is the law of association. The law of association says you become like those you hang with. And I've realized this, is that your life can never move forward by pulling back from church. In fact, I've been pastoring now for 20 years as a youth pastor, kids pastor, you name it. I've never met one person in life whose life has ever moved forward by pulling back from church because you're pulling away from the land of the living. The enem- the, just before you clap, the enemy's biggest target is isolation. 
He wants to get you offended. He wants to get you in despair. Because when you do, you begin to do this. You walk to the peripheral of church, the peripheral of connect group, the peripheral of ministry, the peripheral of serving. And let me tell you, what you see on the edge is far different from what you see in the flock. The devil never attacks the sheep in the flock. He attacks the one on the edge. I need to stop. David was going through one of the hardest moments of his life. And he realized this. He had to choose to be in the land of the living. Your past is a land of the living people. Your team, a land of the living people. If you're in a season of despair right now, keep God's word close to your heart. Keep confessing the goodness of God, even though you're not experiencing the goodness of God. And stay in the land of the living. Thanks for listening. You can find out more about us at church1132.com.